0: listening To the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at central Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Bubba. Is everybody happy this morning? Amen. Praise God. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse number 5. Luke chapter 11. Verse number 5, and yes, we're going to stand again in reverence of the reading of the Word of our God. Luke chapter 11, verse number 5. Those of you watching online, you'll be able to follow along on the screen. The Bible says, Dr. Luke says, And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not give up and get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You may be seated. How is your prayer life? How is... Your prayer life. Uh, No doubt, maybe you're new to church and you say, well, my prayer life is not that good. Or maybe you say, my prayer life is great. Many of you that commute on I-4, your prayer life is probably really good. (laughs) A recent Pew survey said that 79% of evangelical Protestant Christians pray daily. Of that percentage, uh, there are more women who pray daily than men who pray daily. A lot of people struggle with prayer. I don't know about you, but in my life, in my Christian life, I, I have struggled with prayer because I can be highly distracted. We live in a highly caffeinated ADHD world with so many different things that vie for our attentions. And, and, and sometimes in my life, I, I have it set that I'm going to spend some time with God in prayer. And I have the best of intentions in prayer. And so I'll start praying, and I'll say, dear Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your grace, and and I begin to thank God for everything. I thank God for all the blessings. I thank him for my wife. I thank him for my kids. I thank him for this church, and then I even start thanking him for my food. And all of a sudden, I start thinking, man, I'm hungry, And I think I want to go to Chick-fil-A and get a grilled chicken club with a large Coke Zero and french fries. And the next thing I know, I'm now planning out the rest of my afternoon while I'm supposed to spend time in prayer. Anybody else have this issue? Prayer is hard work. Prayer is hard work because it is spiritual warfare. Satan does not want you to pray. Satan does not fear our strategies, he does not fear our programs, he does not fear our buildings, he doesn't fear us at all, but he does fear when we are on our knees in prayer because he fears God. Prayer is hard, it's spiritual warfare, but it is essential to the Christian life. You know, Pastor Craig did a great job last Sunday preaching, and, and one of the things that I got from his message is something that I feel like is helpful for all of us, and that is this, that when it comes to prayer, we tend to overcomplicate it. We tend to make it more complicated than it should be, and then we also underestimate it. We overcomplicate it and we underestimate it, but the biggest game changer in my life And my goal this year in 2021 is to have a more robust, deeper prayer life than ever before. And one of the biggest game changers to me personally is spending more time with God and really focusing on the Lord in prayer. And I think one of the biggest game changers for our church is going to be us doing the same, spending intentional time on our knees before God. See, prayer isn't just something we do before the work. Prayer is the work, and then we see God work. If we want to see God move in a mighty way in this church, if we want to see God move in a mighty way in our city, in your family, in your neighborhood, and in this world, it's going to begin by Christians being serious about prayer. Now, we're ending our series this morning called Go, and we've given you a definition of a disciple. And a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in faith and lifestyle and helps others do the same. And Jesus, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, has been training his disciples to be disciples that make disciples. And in chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus that question. That, Uh, that Dr. Craig Bell last week looked at, and that is, they asked this question, Lord, would you, or they asked, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, as I read that, of all the things that they could have asked Jesus to teach them, they asked him to teach him how to pray. They didn't ask him how to share the gospel. They didn't ask him how to read the Bible. They didn't ask him how to make their wives happy. They didn't ask him how to read the Bible. or or to be happy, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Why? Because they saw the impact that prayer had in Jesus' life. Now, let me just say this. If Jesus felt like he needed to pray, who do you think we are if we don't think we should pray? They wanted to learn to pray like Jesus did. And so last week, we looked at the model prayer, and that is Jesus teaching us what to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive us those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is what we should pray. Now Jesus is going to expound on that and teach us how to pray. So here's what you have to understand about prayer. Prayer is knowing that I need God's help and trusting that God is willing to help me. That's what it is. Prayer is knowing that I need God's help and trusting that God is willing to help me. So how do we pray? Two ways. Number one, we should pray desperately. We should pray desperately knowing I need God's help. Verse number five He says to them, Jesus is expounding on what he's just taught them, but he's going to begin with a very, in this culture, a very odd, cringeworthy, socially humiliating story of a neighbor. Jesus is going to give a story to his disciples that would be very relatable in that day and maybe somewhat relatable in our day. In that day, people traveled quite a bit, and they traveled long journeys, and they didn't travel by car or by plane or by bus. They traveled by foot or by hoof. They traveled by animals. And so what most people would do is they would go as far as they could go uh, in that day. And this wasn't just some straight road. This would be up and down and through different crevices and different ravines and different locations and different types of weather. And they would go until they couldn't go anymore. And then they would look at, for the nearest town. And they, hopefully as they got to the nearest town or village, there would be somebody they knew. A family member or a friend or a friend of a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend. Because there was no Holiday Inn Expresses. In all of Israel. And so Jesus says, I want you to imagine that a traveler comes to your house and they come at midnight. Now, most people in this day went to bed at sunset and woke up at sunrise. And so midnight would literally be in the middle of the sleeping time. And so imagine somebody beats on your door and says, hey, I'm here, I need a place to stay, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend, and I need something to eat. Now, this guy didn't text ahead, he didn't call ahead, he just showed up. And so in first century Near East Cultures... When someone knocked on your door and you had some sort of relation to them, whatever that relation was, you were to open your home to them. Hospitality was just a part of who it was. Could you imagine if someone in the middle of the night that you barely even knew knocked on your door, what would you do? You would say, I know, thank you. Well, in this day, you were to let them in. And you were to give them something to eat. They'd been on a long journey. They probably didn't have time to eat. There was no fast food. There was no McDonald's, nothing along the way. And so they were hungry. And so uh, you were to provide for them food and water, and you were to give them a place to stay. And so if someone came to your house and they knocked on the door needing a place to stay and you gave them a place to stay but you didn't offer them food, it would be extremely shameful. It would be embarrassing. Now, the interesting thing is that most people live by daily bread. They didn't have a pantry or a refrigerator. They didn't really have a lot of people, didn't have a lot of food beyond that day. And so not having food at midnight was normal. And so what does this guy do? Someone knocks on his door. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a friend of a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend that knocks on his door. And so what this guy does in Jesus' story is rather than than just saying to this guy, listen, we don't have anything. You came in the middle of the night. We weren't really prepared for you, but here's a place to sleep. Instead of that, he would rather wake up his neighbor next door who's asleep with his entire family in the middle of the night. He would rather wake him up than fail to provide food for this unexpected house guest. Listen, there was no 24 hour Walmarts, there was no DoorDash. And so, what does this guy do? He does not want to be embarrassed, he does not want to be shamed by the community. So, he knocks on his neighbor, Damer's door, making his problem now his neighbor's problem. Now, in this day, houses typically were one or two, maybe three rooms with an outside kitchen. And in this day, there was like one bedroom and one bed, and it was a family bed, and the entire family slept in the bed. Could you imagine what that would be like? You have mama, and you have daddy, and you have sister and brother, and they're all just kind of in there, catty-cornered in all this different ways, and somebody's probably fighting over the blankets, and the daddy's here in the middle. And so the dad hears his neighbor knock on the door and saying, I need something to eat. I had an unexpected guest. And in his heart, he's saying, dude, we are asleep. I can't, if I get up, I'm going to wake up the kids. I'm going to wake up my wife. And yet the guy kept knocking. He said, hey, I need some food. I've got a house guest. And so he wouldn't stop. He would not leave until he got something. And so, Jesus says, the guy got up, not because they were friends because after this they probably weren't friends anymore but because of the man's persistence it could also be annoyance he got out of bed and gave the man what he needed now think about this situation the guy knocking on his neighbor's door is not knocking in some sort of emergency situation his wife is not fallen she's not bleeding out he's knocking on the door because he needed a pop tart He needed a toaster strudel because he didn't want to be embarrassed. But yet this guy was so bold to wake up his neighbor and knock on the door regardless of the time or the moment. And what is Jesus teaching here? Jesus is teaching us to expect unexpected needs at inconvenient times. He's teaching us this in prayer. See, in life, there are going to be needs that you're not expecting. If you were expecting them, you would be prepared for them. But yet, there is often going to come in your life unexpected house guests. And these unexpected house guests come when you don't expect them, and they often come at inconvenient moments. Well, you have a health crisis, or a family crisis, or a financial crisis, or a relational crisis. I remember a few years ago I was here at the office, uh, I think it was a Tuesday night, and I was meeting with a couple, and that evening there was a Kentucky ball game on, and, and I was there, and I wanted to meet with them early so that we can go ahead and meet, and then I can go home and praise the Lord and watch the cats, right? That's back when they were good. And so um, we were there, and I was sharing the gospel with this couple, and, and we were sharing the gospel, and, and they were right at that moment where they were, they were ready to trust Christ as their Savior, and my phone starts ringing. And, and then I, I, you know, I look who it was. It was my wife. And look, they're in the moment here. And so I just kind of silenced that sucker and just kept going. Well, the call just kept coming. Well, they were in there praying. And then the call kept coming. And I still silenced the thing. They trusted Jesus as their Savior. Praise God. We were rejoicing. I was rejoicing. They were rejoicing. And then I answered the phone. And it's my wife saying, honey, you need to come home quickly. Our son Andrews had a bicycle accident. He's taken his handlebar and kind of Im- impelled in his stomach, and we've got to go to the emergency room now. That wasn't expected. And it wasn't very convenient because Kentucky was playing that night. <laughs> but guess what I did? I went immediately to the emergency room to meet my wife because that's what good dads do, right? But it was an unexpected crisis that came at an inconvenient time. And Jesus says in life, you need to expect the unexpected. You just need to be aware that there's going to be something that's unexpected that's going to happen in your life. But here's the second thing he's going to teach us. Jesus is teaching us that we, in this text, we need to admit that we are insufficient to meet those unexpected needs at inconvenient times. Notice what verse 6 says. Notice what the guy says to his neighbor. I have, say this with me, I have nothing. This parable is not not about hospitality. This parable is about prayer. And so those words should echo our condition before God. The secret to a real prayer life is this. It's admitting that you have nothing. The secret to a real powerful prayer life is desperately and dependently coming to God because you have nothing. Jesus says in John fifteen five, for apart from me, you can do nothing. One fundamental conviction that we must have when it comes to our own life is that we have nothing and can do nothing without God. It is not if it's going to be, it's up to me, but rather it is if it's going to be, it's up to him. And therefore, our desperation causes us to ask God for what we need and to not stop until He answers. See, if this man's neighbor doesn't come through, this guy has no other options. This guy has to beg resources from someone who has resources. He has to make his problems his neighbor's problem, and he is relentless, he is desperate, he knows that he does not have the resources within himself to provide, and he is not going to stop pursuing his neighbor until he gets what he needs. He's going to be annoying. And what is Jesus teaching us? Jesus is teaching us that when unexpected needs come at inconvenient times which are beyond our ability to meet, we need to pray desperately and shamelessly to God for the provision and wait for Him to meet our need. That's what he's teaching here. That's what this whole parable is about. And so then, from that, he gives this famous saying that he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a famous saying, I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is written in the present active indicative, which some of you say, what does that mean? It means it's a continuous thing. So Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Asking means that we go to God alone for what we need. Seeking means that we're not going to just sit there, but we're going to get up and do something. We're going to seek God and seek out His desires. And knocking means that we're going to bang on the doors of heaven until we get an answer. Now listen, you read this, you saying, so are we saying that God is some egomaniac that just wants us to come to Him and, and bug Him to death and annoy the fool out of Him so that He'll finally, reluctantly give us what we want? No, it's not what I'm saying. God is not wanting us to be relentless to be relentless. He wants us to be relentless to show our desperate dependence upon Him. He wants us to see our need for Him. He wants us to want Him more than we want anything else. And I just want you to understand in my own life, there is something in the pursuing that helps us. There's something in that relentless, desperate pursuit in my prayer life that not only changes situations, but changes me. I have found that it is good for us to keep showing up. It is good for us to wrestle with God in prayer. Our persistence in prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance, but it's about us latching on to His goodness and saying, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. Here we are to pray desperately, but not only desperately, but confidently. Remember, prayer is knowing that I need God's help, but it's also it's trusting that God is willing to help me. And so in verse number 10, Jesus makes a promise. He promises that everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone the door that knocks on the door, the door will be open. God here through Jesus, Jesus here is giving us assurance that he is going to answer us when we pray to him. He's never going to ignore us. He's never going to turn us away. When you see Jesus in the Bible, He is not not running away from sinners. He's running to them. He's not repulsed by sinners. He runs to sinners. He is not annoyed by the needy. How many of you have ever been annoyed by the needy? He's not. You never inconvenience Him. It's not like he says, you know what, I got something else to do. When I get done with this, I'll take care of you. No. He says, if you come to me, I'm not going to turn you away. Why? Oh, my stars, why? Because who are you praying to? Your father. Your father. J.I. Packer says, there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer for a child of God. There's no such thing. So notice here this little slight thing that Jesus does here. He changes his metaphor from a friend to father. Prayer is not approaching God as a judge. Prayer is not even approaching God as a friend. Prayer is coming to God as a father. And so Jesus here is teaching us that the only way you can understand prayer is you have to understand it in family terms. Children aggressively ask their parents for stuff. At least mine do, and they're bold, and they're shameless, and I would give you some examples, but I don't want to embarrass them. But they will literally do some of the darndest things, and then have the audacity to ask you to take them to get an ice cream cone. They have audacity. See, God is not our boss. See, if if God was our employer, even if he was a good employer, he would not be unconditionally committed to us. Because if I act up and I'm an employee of God, he may give me a break or two, but eventually if I keep acting up, he will terminate me. If God is my boss, then prayer is just merely transactional. God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I expect you to do this and that. And so if God is my boss, then prayer is now mechanical. It's not relational. And then it causes me to want to manipulate God rather than trust God. But God is not my boss. He is my Father. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said this. He says that prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised. It's that affectionate, sensible, sincere pouring out of the soul. So then he goes on and he says in verse 11, What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, you give him a snake. Now what kind of cruel joke would that be? Daddy, can I have a fish? I'm hungry. And you throw him a rattler. Ah, you want Captain D's, eh? Here's a snake. Or ask for an egg, you give him a scorpion. The kid wants a snack, and you give him a snake. He wants a bite to eat, and you give him something that will bite him to eat. Think about that. It would be unthinkable. Jesus says, what father among you would do that? It would be unthinkable. Even halfway decent dads wouldn't do that. See, as a father, sometimes you tell your children no. I recommend that too. And the reason why you don't always give your kids exactly what they want, when they want it, Is because you see things they don't see. God is a father, okay? And sometimes he overrules our requests because he's got a greater plan. See, God's always going to answer your prayers. It's either going to be yes with modifications, no, not now, or absolutely yes, you can have what you ask for. But you have to understand that God is not a genie waiting to fulfill all your wishes because parents who give their kids everything they ask for when they ask for it are not good parents. They're bad parents. So in this little thing here, which father would give a a snake for a fish to his kid? Well, when you give your kids everything they ask for, you're basically giving them a snake instead of a fish. You're giving them something that will maybe kill them. You see what I'm getting at with that? There's a new movie out there that's called Yes Day. I've not seen it, but my kids have, and they want one. And basically, it's a day that you as a parent have to say yes to everything they ask unless it is illegal or will hurt them. Ain't happening. Ain't happening at the Brumback house. Amen? Because sometimes, daddy don't feel like it, and sometimes... It's not good for you. But God is better than even the best dads here. And he sometimes says no. Tim Keller says this, that God often answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for had we known what he knows. He says it may look like he is not answering our prayers, but he's actually answering them like a father, not a genie. P.T. Forsyth said this, he says, We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. Some of you, you don't pray because you're not really confident in God. Some people are not confident that God is good. Maybe your dad was bad or maybe... You've gone through a lot of pain. Or maybe you're afraid that if you actually start praying of what God will give you. You start praying for patience and then you get it. But then it comes through trials. But Jesus is teaching us that God is a better parent than we are. Notice what he says here. He says, you who are evil. He doesn't mince words. He says, disciples, you're evil. But he's good. And you who are evil, and that's all of you in this room and everyone watching on you're evil. But yet you who are evil know how to give good kids gifts to your kids. I love giving my kids good gifts. I love taking them for ice cream and taking them to Disney and buying them nice things. But there are times I say no, and there are times I say wait, not because I hate them, but because I love them and I know what's better for them. yet he says, notice his logic here in verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you know how to do that, how much more? Say that with me. How much more? If earthly fathers who are sinful ordinarily want to make their kids happy, how much more committed is our perfect heavenly father for our well-being? If you are committed to your child's well-being, and I hope you are, then how much more has God committed to your well-being? Again, Tim Keller says, There has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his or her children as much as your Father in heaven wants joy for you, his child. God wants to do much more in your life than you can even ask or think. God wants the best things for us, more than you can even imagine or comprehend. That's why Paul, when he in, in, in the middle of his a book to the Ephesians just spoke out in doxology and says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Notice, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father, your heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Go back to that slide. The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now you say, well, that's different. What is Jesus getting at here? Oh, stay with me. Don't go to sleep and don't leave yet. The greatest gift of God, the Father, is the Holy Spirit inside of you. The greatest gift that God can ever give you is more of Him. The best prayer we could pray is, I need more of the Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that I have been praying explicitly for months. See, when we pray, we may not get what we ask, but if we come to Him, we get more of God. The Holy Spirit, the reason why the Holy Spirit is important is because He's God. He's Christ and the Christian. But even more so, the Holy Spirit, His functionality within the Trinitarian God, the Godhead, is that He can teach us how to enter into a conversation with a living, loving, communicating God. Why? Because for all eternity, he's been talking to the Father and the Son. And so when you think about the Trinity, we believe here the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that when we pray, all of them are involved. We pray to the Father, we pray through the Son, and we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that guides us to all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that confirms within our hearts that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit gives us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Listen, God is not a piñata. And faith is not just a hitting stick. Listen, don't get the idea from this message that if you've got the Holy Spirit and you have faith and God's some piñata and if you just hit God with faith, then Mercedes and iPhones are going to come from the sky. Listen, Jesus who is speaking here, who was homeless at the time, is telling us that the greatest gift that God could give you is the Holy Spirit. Our greatest need, your greatest need in your life is not less of God and more of stuff, but more of God. Sometimes we think that we need things that we don't really need. Sometimes we think that our greatest need is to be married or to have a better marriage. Sometimes we think that our greatest need is to have kids or to have better kids or to have a career or a better career or a house or a better house. But your greatest need is really none of those things. Our greatest need, my greatest need, is more of God Because if I have Him, I have everything. And listen, when you want more of God, listen, beloved, God delights in giving you more of Him. We can have confidence that our prayers will be answered when we ask God for God, when we seek after God, And when we knock on the door of heaven, we will receive God, we will find God, and the door to heaven will be open to us. R.A. Torrey said this. He says that prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. Let me end with this. There has never been A human father who wanted to answer his child's petition as much as the heavenly father wants to answer yours. He loves you. You can come to him desperately and you can come to him confidently. But just as God is loving, he's also holy and just. And the biggest question in my mind that I ask quite a bit is, God, how is it? that I could come to you and speak to you and talk to you and know that you care for me, yet you know what I did yesterday. You know what I've thought. You know the words that I've said. You know the things that I've seen. You know all the evil within me. How is it that you could shower down blessings to me, a sinner? And how can I trust you, God? And the answer is Jesus. A few years ago there was a younger lady, this was like eight or nine years ago. It's a younger lady who had some health issues in our church and she passed away. And her dad, who whose wife had just passed away a few years before that, and this was his only daughter, he's now alone. And after her passing, he ended up moving away, by the way, and after her passing I remember as we were talking to prepare for the funeral, he said, Pastor Allen, I I want you to know that for years I prayed that God would heal my daughter. She had severe issues. We saw her, my wife and I struggle every day, and we saw her in having challenges for years, and I've prayed to God every day that God would deliver her and that God would heal her. And he says, one day I was praying, and I got so mad at God, and I got so frustrated. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Has anybody ever been there? And he said, I "I opened my Bible, and it was almost like like he was playing Russian roulette with his Bible. He's just going around, like stick a finger there. And for some reason, God led him to Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. And I remember this man saying it was as if God spoke to me as I read this. And I was mad at God that he says God was telling him, I will never give you a snake. I will never give you a scorpion. I will only give you good gifts. And he says, from that day forward, I began to trust that my father knew what was best for my daughter because she was his daughter. And that he would never give her a stone or a scorpion or a snake. And when she passed away, he said this. I remember that passage and it was as if God said this to me. Son, I've answered your prayers. She's home with me. But my son got the bad and she got the good. Never forget him saying that. On Palm Sunday, the crowd shouted, Hosanna, which means God save us. And God did save us through Jesus. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday as a king seated on the colt of a donkey. But by Friday, he's going to be crucified on the cross they're going to whip his body they're going to beat his body they are going to batter his body they are going to place a crown of thorns upon his head they are going to rip the skin off of his flesh and then they are going to take spikes and nail his hands and his feet to a wooden cross and on that cross Jesus got the scorpion on that cross Jesus got the snake and guess what we get we get good gifts from our father. On the cross Jesus received the sting and the venom of death in our place so that we no longer have to fear it. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. And on the cross Jesus cried out, Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me and all he got was the silence of heaven. Jesus on that cross received the silence of heaven so that you and I can have the great audience of heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that you can have access to God as your father. And so what I want to say to everyone in this room and everyone watching online, don't waste your opportunity. Let us bombard heaven with boldness and honesty and relentless pursuit and confidence knowing this, Romans eight thirty two He who did not spare his own son But gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. His power and wealth are such. None can ever ask too much. The greatest thing you can ask for is more of God. And for some of you this morning in this room, you are struggling and you need more of God. One of the prayers that I pray is, God, I need you more today than I've ever needed you before. Anybody else believe that? God, I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. I need you now more than ever. And some of you have never given your life to Jesus. And you're living in misery and depression and sadness. And you're living with fear and anxiety because you do not know this, Father. Because you do not know His Son. But today, you can know His Son. His Son got the scorpion so that you can have the snack. His Son got the snake so that you can have good gifts. His Son took the venom of death so that you can have eternal life. And today, my friends, do not harden your hearts. He is a good, good Father. So this morning, we're going to stand in a moment. I'm going to pray. And if you feel led, you can come down to these steps here and you can cry out to your Father. Whatever your issues are, come desperately, but also come confidently. You're coming to a King. If you're in this room and you need Jesus, He's here today, man. He's here. And you can trust Him. So bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, I I don't even know what to say or to think right now, but Your Holy Spirit knows. And so, Father, I ask that Your your spirit would do that work in this room. God, I need more of you today. I need more of your spirit. God, you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So Father, today, for those in this room who need you as Savior, God, I pray in this moment you would make them so miserable, so broken, that today, only today, they would trust you as Savior. God, that they would give their life to you. Or they would start a conversation with somebody that in this church that can help them with that next step. And God, I pray that today on Palm Sunday, as we think of that day, that you entered in in that triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, knowing at the end of the week you would be crucified outside the gate. God, that we would live in boldness, knowing that if you would do that for us, would you not do anything else that we need? Give us that boldness to bombard heaven today. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.